Very cool. Well, welcome uh, yet again. Uh, just a little announcement as they all get settled. Uh, on September 12th is when we are going to be starting our grade school classes for uh, even you older kids. You'll have the chance to, to go outside during this teaching time, learn about God and who he is and who he's created you to be, play some games, have a lot of fun. And that's all starting on September 12th, the week after Labor Day, which I know you kids have that circled and you know what that holiday is about. And when you figure it out, let me know. Uh, today we are talking about gifts and God's generosity. Uh, my mom loves to give gifts. Like she is an over gift giver. She gives way too much all the time. In fact, at Christmas, she gives us so many gifts. We have to say, we don't know where we're going to put these in our house. It's a really big problem. Uh, we kind of joke about she's the only person who still believes in the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, and there's, there was this one year we came up with this awesome plan. We said, hey, mom, instead of giving us stuff, how about we go on an experience together? You could buy us all tickets to Legoland and we'll go with you and then we don't have all this stuff at the end of it. We'll just have this fun experience. And my mom said, yes, that sounds great. My dad was all for it. Uh, and I thought, finally, we've got out of this, this cycle. What happened is said she came like several days earlier and she kept giving us gifts every day. And then by the time Christmas Day came, she had given us all the same amount of gifts that she always does. And then I thought, my brothers are going to be so mad. And then on Christmas Day, she gave the kids all of these Christmas, you know, tickets that said, you get to go to Legoland. And then also said, oh, and we're going to stay at the Legoland Hotel when we're there, which, by the way, it's totally worth it. It's super cool. And they were like, okay, well, finally, we're done with this. And then the day comes for us to go to Legoland, and she gives each of my kids all this money to buy Legos at Legoland. So at the end, we ended up with twice as much stuff uh, that we, than we had when we started. And I was so frustrated until I realized that it's just part of who she is. Like, she is just a gift giver. She's just a giving, generous person. It's core to her personality. Uh, there's nothing you can do to stop it. The best thing to do is just to like enjoy it and receive the gifts from her. Uh, our God, the God that we believe in, uh, is that kind of person. Uh, he is so generous as to the core of his nature. Uh, God gives himself constantly and completely. Since the very beginning of the world, when he spoke and things came into existence, God has always been super abundantly generous. He gives his creativity. He gives his power. He gave his son. He gave the spirit. He gives his love. He gives his gifts. He gives everything completely all the time. Everything that we taste, everything that we see, everything we experience in this life, we've all received from God because God is a generous God. And the truth is, is that we're never more like God. Like we might understand that, man, the goal of following Jesus is to look like God and to look like Jesus. We want to, that's maturity, right? Looking more and more like him. The truth is we're never more like God than when we ourselves are generous, when we give ourselves, our things, our stuff to others. 
That's when we so most closely resemble the character and the heart of God. Uh, Romans 12, 3 through 8 that we're going to read today is all about generosity, the Spirit's generosity to us, but also the generosity that exists within the church and within Jesus' mission. So I'm going to read that now. It's Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 3 through 8. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can look it up, or it's going to be here on the screen. It says this. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encouragement. Give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. That is God's word. In verse 3, it starts with this really important truth that generosity begins with humility. Uh, Humility is the beginning of a giving kind of life. Andrew Murray, a South African pastor who's long since dead, he wrote a book called Humility, and it's about humility. humility. Yeah, you guys are so smart. Uh, but in it, he, I could summarize the whole book right now for you, so you don't even have to read it, and it's not even a long book. But what he says is that humility is actually just having a proper view of who God is, having a correct view of his creation, having a wonder at what he's done. To, to be humble is to know the mighty hand and the power and the authority that God has. Humility is knowing that, that we are created things that just live underneath him and that we're completely and wholly dependent on God. And so this is how you get in on generosity. Paul says, he says, don't think so highly of yourself, but rather have a sober judgment, having an understanding, this kind of humility that says, oh, this is who God is. And so the beginning of generosity is that that kind of humbleness. It's it's not beginning with thinking less and less of yourself. I think that's what we typically think when we think of humility. We got to put ourselves a little bit lower on the rung and be like, yeah, I'm no good, or yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just average. But really, we might be uh, more than that, more than average or good ourselves. It's not about thinking less and less and diminishing ourselves, but it's actually having a proper view of who God is. And one of our problems with generosity is that uh, we think of ourselves so important, as if we are the gift givers, as if we are in charge. And I think that's what I love about the very beginning of this passage, as Paul says, it's only by the grace or that word is gift, it's only by the gift that I've been given that I'm able to even say these things to you. So he starts understanding, oh, what I have to share with the church is only from this big and gracious God. And what he says is that we we start by being very humble. That's where all generosity begins. It's birthed within us when we realize who God is, 
not when we rework our budgets. I think we think generosity starts, oh, whenever I get down on the spreadsheet and who knows what they did before Excel spreadsheets did. How did they make budgets? It definitely wasn't color-coded like mine. But it doesn't start with that, of like, oh, how much do I have to give away? It doesn't start with looking at our calendars and schedules and say, how much time do I have to give to other people? It doesn't start with assessing our relational abilities and capacity and saying, okay, I have space for one more half-friend or one more half-brother and sister. No, it begins with the realization of a God in heaven that holds everything together. Uh, Generosity, it's about everything that we've been given, but I want to talk about money really quickly because uh, unlike our abilities and our personalities and our calendars, Money is just like a finite numbered thing that we all experience. And so it's a really helpful barometer just to understand generosity. And so as you think about this reality that the giving of ourselves begins with understanding who God is, I have a few questions just for you to process yourselves. One is, when you give financially or when you're generous, is it from a perspective of God's greatness Or is it from a perspective of your prosperity or lack of prosperity? When you're giving, is it because, oh, I know I'm really well off, or I know I'm not really well off, or is it from, this is our God, how great is he? How faithful and uh, enduring is he with me? Another question is, how is your family giving to others in your community or to the church or to the poor? Is it out of scarcity, looking at your own resources, saying there's a finite amount that I have? Or is it out of a worship and faith in how amazing God is? Uh, Another question that I have is, do you give based on what your bills and your expenses are, knowing how much you'll have left over? Uh, That's like the classic spreadsheet. So this one's my challenge. Or do you give based on what you've been led to by the Spirit? And then you align your bills and your expenses and how you operate based on what the Spirit has told you to give. The reason, too, that we talk about money first, or that I wanted to, is that uh, how we live generously with our finances is directly tied to how we're generous with our time or our gifts or our relationships. You know, put it another way, is you can't be tight-fisted. I've never met anyone who's tight-fisted with all of their money, yet exceedingly generous with their gifts, their personality, their time, their relationships. It just doesn't happen. The person who's, who looks at their money and says, I, there's only enough just for me, also operates that same way in every other areas. If you financially give out of the margins of your budget, then it's pretty likely that you're going to give relationally only out of the margins of your life only when you feel full and only when you feel like all your relationships are tight and good, then you can, you know, engage more people. If you give only when your bills are paid to the poor, to people in your community, to the church, you're likely only going to serve as well when you feel like all other things in your life are taken care of too. And the reason is, is that uh, we operate within this mindset of scarcity that there isn't enough for me, that there's not enough out there uh, that will 
satisfy my needs, satisfy my longings, satisfy my desires. And that, that leads us to thinking that everything that we've worked for, or everything that we've gained, or any tweaks that we've made to our calendars and our budgets that provide some sort of abundance, we think that's because I'm really smart and really good and really gifted, and so this is mine. That's how scarcity works itself out. And we have a view of God that gets smaller and smaller and smaller. He has less and less domain or authority in our lives because God is weak and unable, but I am strong and able to manage my stuff. We have a view of ourselves and of our things that we're able, that we must care for ourselves, that there's not enough good stuff to go around. That's scarcity. One of the powerful realities of the death and the resurrection of Jesus is that he puts an end to that whole idea altogether. I think one of the reasons we operate so much in this kind of finite mode is because we believe, oh, we're going to die and that's the end. Is there going to be enough food for me tomorrow? Is there going to be enough housing, enough bills to be paid? Like, will I have all of the things required? In the death and the resurrection, Jesus says there's no more wondering if there's going to be enough because life is now never ending. The grave is not the end. The resurrection also puts an end of thinking more highly of ourselves, right? Have you conquered death? No, great. Someone proclaimed it. No, you haven't. Have you redeemed the entire world through your sacrifice? Have you given yourself to the saving of all humanity? No, we haven't. What a great and gracious God we have. Generosity and humility in every aspect of life begins with the view of Jesus, the resurrected king who loves you so deeply that your destiny is never in doubt. How are you generous? It's having a view of Jesus walking in the garden who was dead days earlier, but now is alive and calling the name of the people that he loves what happens on Easter is that the worst case scenario for your entire life, and this is how I operate, I always think, what's the worst that could possibly happen? And then I make decisions accordingly. Uh, it works out okay. But the worst case scenario for your life because of Easter morning is this. You get to spend eternity delighting in the, pleasant, in the blessing and the presence of God. That is your worst case scenario period. There is nothing worse that can happen to you than I live in the kingdom of God, and I know Jesus, and he knows me, and I have everything I need. That is your worst possible outcome. So give yourself, your relationships, your time, your service, your money, in accordance with that truth. Not believing, oh, the worst case scenario is I could be homeless tomorrow. Because you know the worst case scenario is you will have a home for eternity. The next thing that Paul says is that we give generously because we belong to each other. Because we rely on each other. He talks beautifully, and I'll just read it again because you might have forgotten it. But he says, for just as each of us has one body with many members... These members do not all have the same function. 
So in Christ, we, though are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. He says that we belong to each other. This word body, it's a great metaphor, biblical metaphor for the church, because we can see it. We all have one, which is kind of cool. We're not all disembodied floating clouds. We all have physical bodies, and we know that our hands have different functions than our lungs and our hearts, but that we need all of it for us to eat and breathe and survive. Uh, that the, you know, the foot bone's connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bone's connected to the shin bone, the shin bone, right? We're all, uh, some of you guys know. So far, so good. I've ran out of bones that I know. That's it. But we all depend on each other. And that's, this word is the word soma, which is where our name comes from as a church. Why? Because everybody is needed to play. Not, uh, I grew up in a church where we talked about how everyone gets to play. Like, no matter who you are, like, you get to play. Like, you get to be part of this church. It doesn't matter. You, you get to if you want to, Right? What he's talking about here and what our name means is that everyone is needed to play. Uh, just as, you know, the kids were talking about being able to do handstands or backflips, to do those things, you need every organ and muscle and cell in your body to do those things. And so why are we Soma? It's because we all rely on each other. I love this metaphor as well because it says uh, that there is unity and diversity. That's what it's all about. That there's a united fact that we're all part of the same body, but that we all have different functions and abilities. It's a beautiful thing. And this is a fundamental aspiration for our church, something that we long for, that we hope for, that we pray in. This, this uh, aspiration or goal is not that we'll have awesome, perfect, structured missional communities, that that's probably part of it, or that the preaching is really good, or that our gatherings are awesome. No, the fundamental thing that we long for, hopefully uh, everything that we do points to this truth, but it's that each person in this church would be empowered and equipped to live out their purpose in God's kingdom and in Jesus's church. I'm going to say it again. No one asked for it, but I will that each person in this church would be empowered and equipped to live out their purpose in God's kingdom and in Jesus' church. And so hopefully everything that we do or want to do in a church like this is to foster an environment where that kind of change, that kind of empowerment, that kind of equipping can happen. There's also this phrase that each belongs to each other. Uh, there's an African phrase uh, called Ubuntu, which means we belong to one another. It was made famous by Desmond Tutu's book and speeches and lectures, so if you've ever listened to him, you know it. It's also a phrase that the Boston Celtics used to beat the Lakers in 2009, but not in 2010. But this phrase just means that we belong to one another. It's a phrase that they would use even as peaceful tribes would coexist uh, in, in the jungles and the deserts of Africa because as they came up on a person, they would say to one another, we belong to each other. What happens with me happens to you. What you do with this earth, I do to this earth. We are together. And that is what it means when it says we are a body, soma, 
each member belonging to the other. So your gifts are not your own. Your perspectives are not your own. Your time is not your own. We rely on it. I rely on you. You rely on me. And what happens when we don't do that? Uh, One of my favorite movies uh, in middle school, I'll say that so it won't make me seem lame, uh, is this movie, it has an unfortunate title for uh, gatherings of the church, but it was called Dumb and Dumber. So, and there's a great moment in that, if you remember it, if you watched it. If you haven't, you should, maybe, I don't know. You should. There's this great moment where they're finally, tra- they're trying to go to Colorado, which they think is southern France or something, but they're, they're on their way to Colorado. They end up on this tiny little moped scooter thing, and they're driving through the mountains, and it's so cold and snowy that their snot is like frozen to their faces, and they finally take a break, and they pull off to the side, and mountains of snow everywhere. When they get off the moped, they're frozen to each other, and uh, Jeff Daniels' character, he gets off Uh, And he says, my hands are freezing. And he's in like agony. It's hilarious. I don't know why, but it is. It's hilarious. And then Jim Carrey's character turns to him. His name's Lloyd, Lloyd Christmas. He turns to him and he says, oh, here, take my glove. I have two pairs. My hands are getting a little balmy and sweaty. And then Jeff Daniels, he freaks out. He's like, you've had two pairs of gloves this whole time? And he goes, yeah. And I don't think that uh, Jim Carrey, his character Lloyd, was being uh, selfish or withholding from his friend. He just straight up didn't even think about that maybe what I have is needed with this friend that I'm literally frozen to. I think this is often the deep reality within the church. I think it gets played out in churches all over America. It gets played out in our church as well. Is that we're chugging along in life all together, and we have gifts that the Spirit of God has given us. We have resources and time and abilities that the Spirit of God has put into our lives, and we don't even uh, come to the realization that it's required for everybody else. That what the Spirit of God has put in you, God desires to do something through you with that to all of us. So let's not be the people who are sitting there on the moped, not even just hoarding for ourselves, but not even considering, oh, what I have, the others need. That we wouldn't withhold what's desperately needed. We need what you've been given. So whatever it is, please give it. This city desperately needs what you've been given. The things that God is doing in your hearts or did in your hearts over the last six months, eight months, year, like God is, it's for you, certainly. But the city is desperately wanting to get in on what that's, what God has done for you. I want us as a church to pursue the kingdom in the city with everything that we are. Not leaving anything unsaid, not leaving anything undone, not leaving anything ungiven. That we would end this life knowing that we have accomplished and we have given and we have sacrificed all that was required 
because there's no bonus for ending life with the surplus. Lastly, Paul tells us, uh, expands on that idea even of giving what we've been given, and he talks specifically about giving the gifts of the Holy Spirit, practicing them. And just one quick aside is that I think that he ex- exhorts them to exercise their gifts because that's exactly what's happening is people have been given gifts that they're not using. So this isn't one of those passages about spiritual gifts where he does lots of explanation about how you need to do it. He's just assuming that the Apostle Paul was always assuming that every church he was writing to or every group of Christians that he was writing to had been blessed in abundance by the Spirit of God. And he assumes the same for us, and we should assume the same for us. Another important thing to be said about spiritual gifts is that there's a difference between chores and gifts. Uh, We probably know that if you grew up in a family. A healthy family is one where everyone has chores and tasks and responsibilities. You might not know that. Maybe that's that's debatable. But I'm going to say it with strongly that to be a healthy family is one in which everybody has chores and tasks that everybody else needs, that, the whole, uh, that helps the whole, those kinds of chores and tasks. And it's not connected to giving, it's just connected to mutual service and care. Uh, a key even aspect of feeling belonging is by contributing. You can't sense belonging unless you're also contributing. And so we know as parents that it's really uh, important that our kids feel like they're part of our family when we give them things to do so that they can contribute to the function, even the mundane service of our family, like emptying the dishwasher, right? Setting the table, cleaning up the table, vacuuming the floor, carrying the groceries in. When I was a kid, we lived in a high-rise apartment. My dad would circle the block with our truck full of uh, groceries because we were three teenage boys. And I never saw my mom carry a grocery bag into the house because it was like we had to go down and carry. And the bags were so heavy that my skin would hurt because, you know, plastic. Anyway, so for a family to be a family, everyone has to contribute. And there's not special skills like uh, my older brother thought this. He's like, Brad's just really good at washing dishes, so I'm not going to do it. It's like, no, there's no special skill. I'm not exceedingly talented at washing the dishes. No, they're just things that we all have to do to be a family. And so within the church, within every church, there are plenty of chores that we do. In service to one another, we contribute, we give, we bless, we sing. You don't have to be a talented singer to contribute your voice so that we all get to be encouraged. We get to share what we have. There's all responsibilities and plenty of functions that we have uh, as a church. There's plenty of chores. But what Paul's talking about here is gifts that are beyond surviving as a family. They're about thriving. They're about thriving in the identity of a church, not just to exist, but the purpose of the church is to be a fundamental blessing and signpost of all that God does to the world around us. And that's what these gifts are about. 
not just existing. There's plenty of clubs and organizations that exist where everyone pays dues and everyone has responsibilities. The church is not like that. Why? Because the church has the manifestation and the presence of a living God, a God who, whose whole existence is about giving, loving, blessing, and making himself known. So the church has been given all of this stuff. The gifts that the Bible talks about are not to make it operate better, but for the church to do what we were always meant to do, live the mission of God. And these gifts are empowered and given to us by the Spirit. It's like in the Chronicles of Narnia when Santa gives each child a present on that Christmas morning when the snow is thawing and they finally get Christmas. Always confused me because it was like, I thought snow was Christmas, but now summer is Christmas. I think C.S. Lewis was on Australia when he wrote it. But it's Christmas Day and the snow is melting and Santa gives each child a gift that's specific for the battle ahead. He doesn't give them toys. He doesn't give them these extravagant things. He gives them tools for the battle that lies ahead. The Holy Spirit is like that too, giving us gifts for the battle and the purpose ahead. This passage, it gives a few examples, but there's a lot more in the scriptures. And uh, I would even say the scriptures aren't even exhaustive about all the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Uh, we're going to even dive into this more in October. If you want, I can point you to a resource you could get ahead. But these are the gifts that he talks about. He first, he talks about prophesying, being able to reveal to others God's heart, God's truth, God's desire for humanity. That's prophesying. Do you, do you think we need that as a church? Do you think our city needs that? Someone who can reveal the truths of God to others. He talks about serving. He talks about teaching. Teaching is it's an ability to help people understand God's heart, to understand God's truth. Do you think our city needs that? To have people that can help us understand talks about encouraging an ability to empower and embolden other peoples, to spur each other on to joy and good works, spur each other on to obedience and hope. Do we need encouraging gifts? And you know what that means is anytime one of you encourages another person, it's like what Paul said here, it's by the grace God has given me that I'm even able to encourage you. He talks about giving, and through the other passages about gifts, it's often connected to faith. This ability uh, to lead others in a reliance on God and his power and his ability and his faithfulness. We need the gift of giving in this church, the gift of faith. He talks about leading and ability to care for others by guiding them through trials and disasters and hardships but leading them to a place of purpose. The gift of mercy, an ability to have compassion for people that leads others to have compassion for people. And that that, that care and that mercy and that service to the least of these would be done with grace and joy and strength. Anytime you see any of us caring for those who are hard to care for, and yet excited about it and not burned out about it and none of those things, why are they able to do it? 
It's because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's the power of the Spirit that does that. So I'm just going to ask one more time. If you've been given a gift, exercise it. Use it. Because we see clearly that our church needs those gifts, that our city needs those gifts. Think about your work or school or the government or the arts. What would it be like if there were people in those spaces that were operating with not just their great backgrounds and their education and their degrees and their experience, but were operating in all of those spaces with uh, the gift of prophesying or encouragement or leading or mercy? How do you know if the Spirit's given you one of these or some other gift? Uh, One is through prayer. Asking God, what have you given me? Another key aspect is desire, a longing to care for and bless other people. The third is confirmation that other people in this body say, you know what? You really do have that gift because when you do those things, I am deeply blessed. And then fruit, that you see transformation happen as as you do those things. And then the last thing is that there's need. The Spirit gives gifts that we need, that bear fruit, that other people can see based on our desires. That's how we get these gifts. I think that God longs to do something beyond our abilities. Even as Paul writes to these tiny churches all throughout Uh, the ancient world. They're small, tiny groups of people. I think when when Paul's writing a letter to Ephesus, it could have been a group half the size of this that he's writing to. Uh, When Peter is writing to the, the tiny little villages in Turkey, groups even smaller than this. But what's amazing is that each of them believes so deeply that God is going to do an exceedingly powerful thing among them and through them. The purpose that we've been given as a church is so beyond our talents and our resources and our capacities. Like, we've been called to be Jesus' people for the sake of the people around us. That's what he's called us into. It's not that we need the Holy Spirit as a church to get over the hump. You know, like, uh, I think like athletes when they use steroids, like Barry Bonds, it's like he was really good and he just needed little steroids to become like exceedingly good, right? That's not how the Holy Spirit operates in the church. No, we need the Spirit. We've always needed the Holy Spirit entirely for the entirety of everything that we do as a church. It's that kind of need. And I wonder if sometimes if we're apathetic or tired of the calling that Jesus has given us because we've been trying to do those tasks apart from the power and the presence of Jesus if we're pursuing the fruit of the Spirit without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to become dependent, to become needy, to become generous with all that we've been given because we realize that the source of it all is not ours to fall back on. 
I don't know if we as a church are going to become famous or big or super popular. I wear cool shoes, but I never end up on that Instagram account about preachers and sneakers because I'm not important enough. But I do know this. If we commit ourselves to this kind of biblical generosity underneath the resurrected king, I do know this, that we will see transformation in our midst, in our hearts, and we will see transformation in the people that get to live and work and play around us, and it will be amazing. So let us give our whole selves, relying on the Spirit. As we come and we take communion, uh, you get to taste uh, in the juice and in the bread the reality that God has given everything that you need, more than you could have asked for, more than you could have imagined. Who could have imagined a greater God than the one who gave his life for us? Uh, I pray that, uh, and I'll pray now, that, that we'll take that to heart. Jesus, help us respond, help us take communion today, understanding the great, generous God that you are, that you did not spare your son, but gave him freely so that we might be free, that you've given us every spiritual blessing so that we might taste life and life abundant. Help us to be and rely and to give the gifts that you've given. Thank you so much for this church, for this body. Help us rely on each other. It's only in your power and your spirit. Amen. Men, go and, and take in the back.